0: This is the Happen to Your Career Podcast, episode 194.
1: That label that had been my life raft keeping me afloat then became my anchor and kept pulling me down. So I thought very many times that, oh, I figured it out. And then a little bit further down the line, I realized, no, I hadn't figured it out.
0: I'm on edge. I'm like leaning forward towards the microphone. It's like, what's she going to say next? This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow.
2: I was unsure about how to define myself. This is Sutender.
0: He found himself stuck in needing help figuring it all out.
2: I've amassed a variety of skills over the years. I was confused about my professional identity and I felt lost and unsure about which route to move forward in. I wanted to clarify my skills and interests with a view to identifying my next career move.
0: Listen for Tender's story later on in the episode to learn how he used coaching to help him finally figure out what fits
2: him. I wasn't aware of just how strong my skill set is, so I feel really good about the possibilities that are open to me now.
0: This is Scott Anthony Barlow, and you are listening to Happen to Your Career, the show that helps you figure out what work fits you by exploring others' stories. We bring on experts like Danny Rubin who teaches people how to hack their careers by writing well or people that have pretty amazing stories like Lisa Lewis who has done nearly every type of job you can think of from manning the makeup closet at a fashion magazine all the way to digital marketing and a whole bunch in between. These are people just like you. They've gone from where they are to what they really want to be doing. And today's guest is Karen Nanut again.
1: I work with really resourceful risk takers in business, they have track records of success. And they had maybe a series of smaller experiences, or they've had a larger experience, which has left them feeling like in an unwanted situation. And they're feeling stuck, trapped, or sometimes even totally paralyzed. And what I help them do is I help them break out of that state so that they can let go of everything that isn't working for them anymore and really embracing and integrating things that are working so that they can move forward more smoothly and get to their goals.
0: So you untrap them?
1: Yes, I help them get completely unstuck. I help them rebound, essentially.
0: Or something like that. Our society seems to have a difficult time putting a title to that or putting it in a box. I know everybody always wants to you know, like, hey, what's your title? So I have a title for you. You're an untrapper.
1: An untrapper. Oh, I like that.
0: Corinne and I get to dive deep into her story about how she went from having a, an autoimmune disorder to her reverse engineering, her struggles with that, and literally rebuilding them to her benefit. And you'll see exactly what I mean. And then how you can actually learn by teaching others. And if you haven't heard that term, it's it's something that's fascinating to me, And some people find that they learn best by teaching others. So you can find out if you're one of those. And then she works consistently nowadays with high performers. And she is one of the best people out there that I've found that, intimately understands the stoppages for high performers. What is stopping you and how you can move past it? It's so fascinating. So listen for that as we get about three quarters of the way into the episode. I think that you'll absolutely love it. All right. So you are a professional untrapper, but here's the thing, being familiar with a bit of your work and actually, ironically, also the way that we met, here's a little behind the scenes for everybody. You and I actually worked with the same person. I won't go, you know, too much into detail there necessarily, but he introduced us and having the pleasure of working with somebody that you've worked with and knowing just how many amazing things working with somebody who's been untrapped and unblocked, it's a rather amazing experience seeing people on the other side of that. And it's super super cool and it's been so fun to be able to see the product of that.
1: You're putting it very beautifully and it makes me really happy to hear that the results speak so loudly for themselves because it really is an incredible experience. It's probably the reason that I do what I do is because it is so satisfying to me to see someone who is really resourceful, but they're feeling really trapped by things that have happened to them kind of the emotional wounds that come as a result of yeah. being out there in the world pursuing your goals and not necessarily making it every time, making it often, but not all the time. And then seeing that progression from them being stuck to unstuck and not only unstuck, but they are on fire.
0: On fire is definitely the right yeah. garbage. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And just, it's so satisfying to me to see that they're going from completely stuck at zero to a hundred in a very short period of time.
0: That is super cool. And I know a little bit about your story, but I'm also super curious about some parts because you obviously haven't always, you didn't like come out of the womb, untrapping people, right? So I'm curious, where does this trail back to? What got you set down this path? If we go way back. What did your career start out as?
1: Well, since we're talking about way back, because that's really where it started, I was born in a beautiful town in Santa Cruz County in California. I was born by the beach, and I grew up above the Arctic Circle in Norway. And from a very early age, I got to experience what it feels like to feel very different from everyone around me. Because above the Arctic Circle in Norway, Americans were complete aliens. And I'm also half indigenous Norwegian, indigenous Scandinavian. So I'm half Sami. And those weren't particularly popular either. So I came up above the Arctic Circle to this city called Troms when I was six. And I noticed how... I was very much alive and outgoing, and that wasn't necessarily accepted there. So I needed to start modifying in order to survive, or this was my experience as a child. In order to survive, I needed to start modifying who I was being on the outside versus how I was truly feeling on the inside. And if you can imagine, that can create some disconnect between what's happening in your life and what's happening in your mind. And over time, my experience was reinforcing that I needed to do something that was out of the ordinary because I could not fit in with the quote unquote ordinary people around me. And I had this growing sensation in me that I was meant to create something big in this world and I couldn't necessarily put my finger on it. But that's what essentially was driving me. And I didn't know where, I didn't know how, I didn't know any of the details. All I knew was that I was put here for a reason and I was on a mission. I was on a mission to find out what it was that I was going to contribute to this world. And I knew that it wasn't in accounting or plumbing or, you know, any kind of quote unquote ordinary job. It was something else. So along the way, I was also diagnosed with ADHD, and I developed an incurable medical disorder, still incurable, but I've figured out ways to heal both of these conditions. And when I was able to do that, when I was tired of hearing the doctors say, Karenina, you're just going to have to live with these conditions. There's nothing we can do. I became so determined that I basically reverse engineered both of my conditions, went off of medications and built myself back up the way that I wanted to be. And when I was able to do that, I just realized I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to do in the world. This is what I'm supposed to be helping people with. Reverse engineering impossible situations and then re engineering lives and people the way that they're meant to be.
0: So you're not just an untrapper, you're a reverse engineer untrapper. (laughs) This is getting complicated.
1: (laughs) I think you're going to have to pick one of them.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Don't force it into decision. I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. I'm super curious then, aside from the doctor basically giving you an ultimatum and you accepting that as a challenge is kind of what I'm hearing, what else led to you? Decided, no, I'm going to figure this out. Like, I'm not accepting this. I'm going to figure that out. I'm guessing that was over a period of time and not just one instant, Or was it?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think it was a slow buildup. So I developed my condition when I was 15 and I was hospitalized so many times. I think I've counted that I've spent three to four months total of my life in hospitals and doctors. I've had over 90 surgeries and surgical procedures. And there was just times when I was so fatigued and tired of being trapped in a body that was not working alongside with my mind and how I saw myself. And I had interests. I was very active on top of all of this. I was growing up, I was active in all kinds of sports from downhill skiing to judo and gymnastics, and I even sang solo in this cathedral in Norway. And when I got sick, it didn't make sense to me how I could be so happy and passionate about life living and being active, and then being trapped in this body that was essentially fighting me. So over time... And of course, I should say this is coupled with all the symptoms of ADHD, which had to do with me not wanting to focus on one thing or being high focused on one thing. I mean, I've later learned how to use those things to my benefit. But growing up, I didn't have an off switch and I was all over the place. So it was kind of this feeling trapped by my situation and having that discrepancy between my insides and my outside world. That really grew this very powerful seed or this tree inside of me, this tree of wanting to change. And so I had that reinforced about ten years or so before ten to twelve years before I decided that now I needed to make a change
0: that is super interesting. I'm curious about something that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I'm also curious your thoughts on this too, just knowing your background and experiences as well. Mm-hmm. but with a d h d I have found it in many ways to actually be just incredibly infuriatingly frustrating. And then in the same token, later in life, I've actually found it to be a huge gift as I stopped fighting against it and started working with it. And something you said about ADHD is I learned how to, you didn't say work with it, you said something else and I didn't write it down, but what do you even mean by that in the first place? And then secondarily. How did that happen?
1: Okay. So I said, use it to my benefit.
0: Yeah, that was
1: it. So just like what you said, once I started or stopped fighting it, then it was much easier to start using the aspects of it that would later on cause me to become really, really good at what I do. Because part of my ADHD and everyone's ADHD and ADD is put together differently. We all have very different symptoms, but because it's kind of a broad diagnosis for collect many, many symptoms and it's put together very differently in each of us because we also have Our individual biochemical makeup, we have our own habits and backgrounds and eating patterns and things that definitely impact the symptoms. So for me, once I started, I think the most important aspect of me healing my ADHD and then having access to using some of my symptoms to my benefit was actually letting go of all the emotional baggage surrounding the symptoms I had, the shame, the guilt, the frustration. Once I started letting go of those things, my symptoms decreased and it was easier for me to use what previously I have kind of OCD tendencies. I can get very obsessive about things and I get very hyper focused on things. And once I let go of the baggage and the shame, I was able to start using that to become extremely good at what I do. And I started obsessing about finding out how can I engineer my life and my mind and my body to become the way that I want it to. So removing the baggage and then embracing Uh the symptoms and using them to my benefit was one of the most fun parts, but also one of the best accelerators for my success.
0: I find that just incredibly interesting because I look at those things as a, I guess you could say a gift or you could say it's just, you know, it's part of who you are. And I think in a lot of ways, it's such an advantage. Once you stop fighting against it, it seems like it's such an advantage because a lot of those things, and it's a drastic range as you pointed out, but they allow you to think and be differently in some cases than every other human being on the planet. But that's true for everybody in different ways. And I think that that's okay.
1: I agree. I mean, it's definitely different. And everyone has access to these ways of being that accentuate people with ADD and ADHD. And I think once people with ADHD and ADD let go of a lot of emotional baggage that they're carrying around their symptoms, they become more like others, but still they have access to perhaps a little higher capacity of creativity, perhaps a little higher capacity of work and output, and perhaps a little higher capacity to juggle things and manage many, many things.
0: Interesting. So jumping back here for half a second, because you discovered or began really experiencing this at 15 and then fast forward, you began looking at this completely differently because you were unwilling to tolerate the answers that were given to you and ultimately that led you beginning to move down the path of hey how can i embrace this how can i let go of the things that are holding me back and then embrace this so as you started that what happened from there
1: oh that was a beautiful roller coaster ride <laughs> <laughs> in what way? Well, because there were so many highs and lows. And what I mean by that is when I made the decision to change my life, to change my body, to change my career, to change everything, every time I found an answer, I would have this celebration. And sometimes two weeks, or sometimes longer, or sometimes even shorter periods of time. I would go on the downhill within the roller coaster ride because I thought I knew what I was looking at and I realized that, oh, maybe it doesn't work this way. For example, I was so happy when I finally understood, when I was finally diagnosed with ADHD. I was so happy because it explained so many things. But then after a while, that label that had been my life raft, keeping me afloat, then became my anchor and kept pulling me down. Mm. So I thought very many times that, oh, I figured it out. And then a little bit further down the line, I realized, no, I hadn't figured it out quite the way that I thought. So it was a really interesting experience of just finding information, applying it, failing, later on tweaking it, And then reiterating the whole process and finally succeeding. So it was up and down in many areas of life because remember, I was doing this not only with my ADHD, which is largely mental emotional, but also living with a chronic condition. So I was doing this on multiple levels. I was looking at everything that was happening to me mentally, emotionally, physically. And then later on, this became kind of a spiritual practice as well.
0: Very cool. At what point along the way did you start impacting other people with it then? Like, where does that begin for you? Because I'm guessing you're not like, hey, clearly this is, made these changes are right, fantastic. Boom. Let's start charging for this. Like, obviously, people are coming in the doors and I'm shot in the dark. Probably didn't happen that way, right?
1: <laughs> no, but almost.
0: Oh, really? Now I'm super yeah.
1: curious. Oh, man, <laughs> throw a
0: curveball. I see how you are. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. So yeah, I think many people are the same way as I am. I also learn by teaching. And whenever I have a big discovery or epiphany, I am so excited about it, that I kind of stand out amongst people energetically, and I somehow attract people who also need that help and who are also looking for those answers. I should say that aside from Mm -hmm. ADHD, aside from my medical condition, I was also studying. You know, I was very passionate about sales and service from a young age. There's just something really near magical to me. And I know that's a big word, but there's something about being able to serve someone and see their reaction with pleasure That was really enticing to me. So I started with sales and service at a young age, and that went into communication through project management, and then later on communication management. And as you might remember, I said I was very active growing up, then used my background in fitness and project management and communication management to start coaching people Mm. in my 20s. And I didn't know what that was going to look like in the future. But all I knew was that I've lived in a body that hasn't worked for big periods of time. And I was really grateful for all the activities I was able to do when I was able to do them. And I also saw what providing service did for me and the other person. And I was really committed to helping people have positive experience. When I started seeing clients, I actually started off as a personal trainer, where I was also able to start teaching some of the concepts that I had then discovered over time of dealing with my own issues. And I, alongside with yeah. personal training, I started studying something called neuro-linguistic programming.
0: Why did you start studying that, Curious?
1: Oh, why? Okay, so one of the things that really made a huge difference for me in my journey of dealing with some of the symptoms of ADHD early in my 20s and living with my condition was actually personal growth. And more specifically, you know, I started at a very early age with that. My dad handed me a book called Awareness by Anthony DeMello when I was 16. And that's when I started learning about how to live with pain. Although the book was more directed toward emotional pain, I figured out ways to apply that in my physical life. But also, I went to Tony Robbins when I was in my early 20s, which completely changed my life Uh back then. And when I learned that what Tony Robbins uses is NLP, later went, I need to be able to convey messages as powerfully as him. And that's why I studied NLP.
0: Very cool. I'm always curious why people do things. So that's part of why I was asking so you then began studying NLP. What was that like for you? How did you find that that benefited you or other people then?
1: Well, I think I realized I just had that big sigh because it had such a tremendous impact, not only on me directly, but on people around me and very soon to come clients, uh-huh. paying clients. I would say that through my studies of NLP, that was when I was finally able to really let go of the things that were holding me back, like really get to the bottom to the core of some of the things, the patterns, the beliefs, the emotional baggage that was preventing me from having as powerful a progression as I could have had sooner. And I had a complete transformation in my process of becoming a master practitioner of NLP. From the beginning, till then it took two years of intense studies and application in real life simultaneously. So when I became a master practitioner, when I graduated from my training, I put my condition in remission for the next year as a result. And when I did that, I had so much energy. My mind was blown. My body was healing. I could not keep my mouth shut. (laughs) I was telling people about what I had just experienced. And along the way, I helped people quit smoking in less than an hour using some of these powerful tools that I learned, these techniques, these processes. People were quitting smoking. They were losing weight. People started coming to me for everything from relationships to business management and productivity. And I was continuing to heal my own body and create fantastic results. I even started powerlifting. And after five weeks of training, I broke a record in a meet. And I was just experiencing all these amazing events that came as a result of of me just applying what I had learned in my life. And I couldn't keep my mouth shut about it. So, of course, I started attracting A lot of people who were like, Can you help me with this? Can you help me with this physical issue? Can you help me with this relationship issue? Or, oh, yeah, money issue. I've helped a lot of people with that too.
0: In what way? When you say the money issue, like, what do you mean when you say that? Lots of things jump into my mind.
2: So I'm curious. Yes.
1: So I'm not necessarily the person who best balances checkbooks, but I have been able to help several people with their mindset around money helping them change their relationship to money, how they feel about money. And I've Mm -hmm. seen some pretty wild things happen as a result. One of my clients, as a result of our VIP process together, she went home, she flew back home and within, I think it was like four months, she increased her revenue with 58%. And she'll say this to herself, it all came down to her changing her beliefs about money and it's the same with several other entrepreneurs who just once they changed their relationship with money they just pursued different clients and suddenly you know one of them went from being a ghostwriter for business owners and people who wanted to write novels to now being a celebrity ghostwriter with actual rock star clients and she says it's just because she shifted her mindset and her belief around money
2: I was unsure about how to define myself because I've amassed a variety of skills over the years. I was confused about my professional identity and I felt lost and unsure about which route to move forward in.
0: Okay, here's the thing. So Tinder's array of skills and his experiences, it made it really difficult for him to nail down what he actually wanted.
2: I wanted to clarify my skills and interests with a view to identifying my next career move. When he came to us for coaching, he gained some much needed clarity. Career coaching has been enormously helpful in refining and defining my skill set, my strengths, my interests, and most importantly, the areas of opportunity that are now available to me. I am clearer about my identity, uh, what I can offer future employers, and also what services others can buy from me if I choose to go self-employed.
0: Now, Sutender really put in the work to make things happen for his career.
2: Congratulations
0: Sutender on identifying what work fits you. Also, if you wanna figure out what work fits you and find that fulfilling career that lights you up, gives you purpose and want help making it happen, coaching can help you step by step. Wanna find out how? Go to HappenToYourCareer.com and click on career coaching to apply or simply pause this and text my coach, that's M Y coach, to 44222. Pause right now and we'll send over the application.
2: I would say do not hesitate to give it a go. It's absolutely an investment in yourself.
0: This is, for me, fascinating because, well, this is the kind of stuff I love to talk about, as it turns out. And at the same time, I know that. The types of people that you've worked with in the past, especially now, especially more recently, are what I would call high performers, people that have a track record of success and have a pattern of past success that are trapped for one reason or another. And I'm super curious, what are some of the biggest things that you see that hold them back? What are some of those biggest stoppages? And I know that that's probably a bit of a faded question a little bit because I know there's probably many different things. However, What are a few of the things that you see either most commonly?
1: Okay, great question. If you think about human mind, it's kind of like software. And when a high performer who has been experiencing a tremendous amount of success suddenly is no longer experiencing that success or the same momentum or for whatever reason they're feeling stuck, it's usually as simple as the operating system being outdated, meaning the patterns, the habits, the beliefs that make up our operating system, they have bugs in them. And it's not as big of a deal as it feels like because when you're stuck yourself, it feels like, you know, your whole world is falling apart. And you start questioning what's wrong with me or like, how could I make this mistake? How is this possible? You know, look at my track record. How did I end up here when I had all these successes in the past? Well, it's because the things that you were doing in the past, they were working for who you were in the past, but your operating system is outdated. You have grown. You have evolved. So the same strategies are no longer working and. We also, just like every other pieces of software out there, we accumulate bugs. I mean, they're just processes that need upgrading and we need to debug, essentially. So to translate that into what that means, I've mentioned beliefs and habits and patterns. So when I'm meeting with high-performing clients who are feeling stuck, I start looking for what specifically isn't working. And why isn't it working? So let's say that a client comes to me and says, I used to be on fire in sales. I used to pursue clients with ease. I used to go after clients. I used to really pursue them. And I used to follow up. And for some reason, I'm not doing that anymore. Okay, well, it sounds very simple, but why not? What are you doing instead? And why are you not doing what you say you want to do? And then we start looking for the bugs in that area. And believe it or not, even though it sounds so simple, a lot of really interesting things come up when you start asking, why am I not doing what I say I want to do? And that's where we start uncovering bugs.
0: So what's an example of that? I'm super curious. What's an example of some of those things that come out? Tell us a client story that you can share. I'm on edge. I'm like leaning forward towards the yeah. microphone. It's like <laughs> oh <my goodness>.
1: Okay. <laughs> so, kind of rewinding back just a tiny bit to operating systems. So, our operating system is basically our unconscious mind mostly. And our conscious mind is a small percentage of that. I'm sure you guys have heard like the myth that we only use like 5 or 10% of our brains. That is not true.
0: That is one that is circulating out there. Yes,
1: it's hilarious. But I get it because what they're actually referring to is that only the conscious mind is connected to about 5% of the brain. Everything else is our unconscious mind. So our operating system is a combination of our conscious mind and our unconscious mind. And we form our paradigm for what we believe to be real in this world by the time that we are eight years old, what that means is that we have solidified by the time we're eight, an image of how things in the world work. And when we then later on in life, so that means that we're building our entire worldview on top of a paradigm that was solidified by when we were eight, which means that there are some beliefs in there. For example, Men are bad. We make up ideas like men are bad or women are bad or asking for what I want is scary.
0: That's an interesting one. Having little kids too, like being conscious of saying no and having repercussions for people, for our kids asking for what they want. That's something that's constantly on my mind. Especially since I have some less than eight-year-olds.
1: Yes, exactly. And it's so interesting. I mean, didn't used to interest me that much before, but after I started studying the mind, children have become absolutely fascinating to me because they are constantly experiencing the world through their nervous system. They're learning about everything new. They're learning about hot. They're learning about cold. They're learning about people. They're learning about animals, pain and pleasure. And they're creating ideas and that are forming beliefs that actually will, in many cases, remain true until later on in life when that belief is challenged. So that's where it comes. Let's say this person that this hypothetical person comes to me and says, Oh, well, you actually asked for a real case. So I did have someone who was challenged in sales suddenly. And we went exploring, of course, through elicitation process and really looking for where are you stuck. And we did find that at pre eight years old, he had had an experience of asking for he wanted. And the reaction of the mother who was probably going through her own emotional stress at the time, she had rejected him, not given him what he wanted, because of the intensity of the situation that had essentially wired into his nervous system, this fear of asking for what he wanted. Now, what's interesting is that In very many cases, those experiences, they just kind of get stored in our nervous system, deep down in our unconscious minds as well. And they don't come to the surface again. However, later on in life, this person was in his late 20s when he came to me. Later on in life, he had experienced a set of other stressors that had caused him to just feel overall more stressed in life. And then when he had gone in to negotiate, him being in a stressed state, the situation of the negotiation, along with his stresses, other places in life, had actually recreated a very similar experience to him physically now as when back when before he was eight.
0: No, this is totally making sense.
1: Okay, great. So because of the stress levels that he was currently experiencing that were similar to physiologically, as when he was younger, that triggered this belief that he couldn't have what he wanted. And so unconsciously, he was then running this triggered belief that I can't have what I want. And if you have that running at the back of your mind, when you're negotiating, what do you think is going to happen?
0: It's not going to be
1: good. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Putting it mildly. (laughs)
1: So because the human mind is wired, Four, because this is how we, the only way that we can actually process information is by generalizing the information, deleting the information that we don't need and distorting it to save it in our minds. The only way that you can be when you're in that negotiation state, if you're running a belief that you can't have what you want, is to find evidence of that to be true. So that means that if you go into negotiating, running a belief that you can't have what you want, your mind is going to look for evidence that it cannot to reinforce that belief. That's just how we work. The human mind works.
0: We are constantly looking for whatever we consider to be relevant. Yes. At any particular time and if that belief is surfacing all of a sudden everything that reinforces it is now considered relevant in your world and it's getting filtered in versus filtered out
1: exactly exactly so when i'm looking at high performers and finding out like where are they stuck what is the stuckness i start looking for where else have they experienced this type of pressure because usually when we experience something in our adult age it's an extension of an experience that we've had previously. So once we go back there with our adult minds, oh, and this is a tip for what people can do if they find themselves feeling stuck, they can start asking, where else in my life had this feeling, this experience? Where else do I feel rejected? Or where else do I feel like I cannot have what I want? And remembering back, okay, well, I do remember that my mom did Yell at me and reject me. And that felt terrible in that moment. We can go back in time because our memories live in our minds. We can go back in time with the resources we have now as adults. We know as adults that we can have what we want. And when we connect that to the memory of not getting what we want, it actually shifts the memory. So our memories, they're not necessarily real. They are snapshots from our experiences, but it doesn't mean that's reality. I'm sure you can remember that you had an experience as a child and looking back at it as an adult, you do see that, oh well, I did believe in unicorns back then, but now that I'm adult, I know that unicorns aren't real.
0: Whoa, 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 hold on.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was gonna mi- say Wait
0: a minute. <laughs> that's I refuse to
1: accept that. I shouldn't say that. You know, I shouldn't say that uniforms aren't real because they might be for some. I just haven't seen them myself.
0: Ah, your new title is dream crusher.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally kidding. Oh my God.
1: That's genius. That's hilarious. So, okay. So let's see. I get a little bit off track here. Sometimes.
0: This is interesting. So when you help people relate back, I'm curious about the shifting the memories part because yes. I believe I understand what you're saying, but I'm super curious. And for everybody else's benefit, too, yeah. what do you mean when we're talking about shifting the memory?
1: So, the memories, as we remember them, the experiences filtered through our nervous system. Let's say, in this case, going back to this case, he was pre eight years old. He was filtering through his nervous system the experience of having his mom shout at him and rejecting him. Uh, the memory is essentially just a snapshot. So he took only certain aspects of that experience and stored it, and he deleted everything else, which means that it's not an accurate image of what actually happened. He left out a lot of details, perhaps, his yeah. mom going through her own emotional stuff and projecting that onto him as a child. All he remembers is that mommy doesn't love me and I can't have what I want. So that is the kind of the zip file, if you will, that is being stored with all the other information deleted. And later on in life, what we can do is we can look back on that experience with the resources that we have now. And by connecting the memory with the current knowledge, you actually shift how you feel about the experience. Meaning, like just for an example the client went and had a conversation with mom and asked her if she remembered the incident. She didn't because (laughs) apparently it wasn't that important to her because it wasn't that big of a deal. But what we did uncover or he uncovered with his mom was that she did remember the time of life and she was like, oh, I was going through this stuff with your dad at the time. When he then had that piece of information, Understanding that his mother was under emotional stress at the time, that totally changed his perception of what was actually happening. And he understood that his mom loved him and his mom did allow him to have things. But in that moment that he asked and had been so powerfully rejected, he had only experienced that aspect of it and he hadn't seen the bigger picture. So I'm seeing that this might be a little confusing, but having the information that we have now as adults in real time, we can go back and change how we feel about our memories because we have more information now.
0: Well, it seems like, yeah, it totally makes sense. And it almost like what we're doing is actually shifting the context and shifting our understanding of the context. Once we're relating it back. So, like recently, my wife and I have been recording podcasts for our our other podcast, Family Passport, but we were going back and looking at our photos from when we lived in Paris for a short period of time. And, you know, we were looking at some of them and like, wait a minute, that's not how I remembered it. And we're looking at all the stuff in the background and everything else. And clearly, and I can remember what it was now. I think we were in Notre Dame or something like that. But Anyhow, we were looking at it, and it's like, oh my goodness, this is, we're, we're staring at it and realizing there's a whole bunch more context there compared to how we actually remembered it, which then altered our understanding of what was happening at the time. And now we think about it differently. And it seems like it's that same type of thing.
1: It's the exact same thing. That was just brilliant. Yes, that's exactly what happens. And so when we're feeling stressed now, what often happens is that we have a snapshot of things that from our past experiences, but we don't tend to go looking at them like you pulled out the pictures and you went, wait a minute.
0: That's, that's not how it happened. <laughs> no.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so it changes how you think about it. And essentially, in very simple terms. That's what I help my clients do. And most of this is, of course, happening on an unconscious level. I mean, when I work with someone, it's because they themselves can't figure out what are the images, what are those snapshots that are actually creating this challenge in real time. So I help them then get deeper, go into their unconscious more, work with their unconscious more so that they can find out where are those triggers. Where are those pictures from the past that we need to look at such that we change how we feel about it in real time?
0: You know, like on iPhoto, for those of you that are, I guess, Apple users, on iPhoto it's got when you when you take a picture, it'll actually capture, if you have the setting on, then it'll capture the full live event around it, essentially like a video shot rather than the snapshot.
1: Uh Ah.
0: And it captures the context around it. And I almost feel like what you do is (laughs) <laughs> Go back and help people. Not just look at just the snapshot, but look at they call it, I think they call it like live preview or something like that. I totally don't remember. Somebody listening to this, let me know what it what it is. But you can see all the stuff that was happening before and after the snapshot, and it gives you so much more context. And that's actually part of what we were doing. We were going through and we were looking at that, and it shows like about three or four seconds, and that completely changes your understanding of what was going on. Because a snapshot is exactly that. It's just one finite, very specific point in time. And it doesn't explain everything else that was going on.
1: Well, that's such a perfect analogy. And I realize I am an Apple user, but I haven't been using photos very often.
0: I'm so going to show you. uh, All right. Coming your way later.
1: Oh, Uh, awesome. Well, this is exactly (laughs) what it is. You're just describing it so perfectly.
0: So I'm curious then. For people that have characteristically had, they're finding themselves in the beginning stages of this place where they have noticed that something is different and something is off and something is not the way that they used to be. And they're starting to feel like things just aren't right, but they've had that track record of success and they don't know necessarily where to begin looking to make a change and break out or become untrapped or become unstuck because- It can be overwhelming. And as you pointed out, maybe it's not that much that needs to happen necessarily in order to make a change. However, it feels terrible when you're there in the space. So what can people do to get started?
1: Okay. So the first thing that I would do, and these words are really important, is look for the positive learning in whatever situation you're in. What is the positive learning? When you ask your unconscious mind that, you will start looking for the positive piece of information that allows you then to getting unstuck. Let's say, for example, you're going in to negotiate or you're going in to make a sale and you don't make it and you're starting to feel horrible because you go, why am I not making this sale? I have never had a problem with it before, then the first thing I would do is, what is the positive learning from this experience? The reason that we start feeling bad is because we're hardwired for protection. And this is just how our unconscious mind works. You know, we are designed as biological beings to constantly scan our environment for threats. And when we start feeling bad about something, it's essentially just our unconscious mind going, oh, there's something over here that is a threat. So this sales experience and not making the sale could feel like a threat. And the only way that your unconscious mind is going to let go of that is if it knows that you have gotten a learning from that experience. Because if not, it's just going to keep this warning lamp like, ooh, sales are dangerous until you go, okay, what could I learn from this experience? And you can go and find any positive learning, but it's very important that it's a positive learning. So a positive learning could be, okay, well, perhaps it's better for me to be more prepared about my client, more prepared in knowledge about what my client needs. And you will know that it was the right learning. I mean, there are always many learnings to be had in any situation, but you'll know the moment you start feeling the emotions start dissipating. Mm. Does that make sense?
0: That makes a ton of sense to me. Okay. Because I have been there, had that experience many times. I can, as you are talking about the emotions dissipating, then I remember the feelings of that from many different points. So that absolutely makes sense to me.
1: So it's the positive learning, looking for the positive learning, because there's always a positive learning in any experience. And once you start understanding that, then anything can happen to you and you will still be able to rebound.
0: So is this kind of the, I almost think about gratitude is another example. So we've been working with our kids a lot on intentionally leveraging gratitude. And by that, in some cases, what I mean is intentionally shifting our focus to focus on what we are being thankful for or what we have gratitude for. And part of the reason that we've been doing that is because I've observed and also seen lots of research to support it, that when you engage that part of your brain, it is difficult to engage some of the negative or potentially negative result parts of your brain too, for lack of a better and more technical description. And is this kind of the same thing as that, where as you're looking for that positive experience, it shifts your focus so that you can begin getting the positive results from it?
1: Yes. Yes. So nothing inherently is bad or good. Yeah. First and foremost, and there are no experiences that are inherently bad or good. It's how we see them that's important and that matters. And I am totally behind you on gratitude as an antidote, or I should say more as a preventative measure. And if you approach every situation with a sense of gratitude or appreciation, for what it has to bring to you, then it, it's easier to not get pulled down by quote-unquote negative experiences. And it's also a great way to start getting out of the negative. So if you do find something that you are grateful for in that negative experience, then that's something that will definitely start helping you move out of it. The positive learning and gratitude and appreciation all go hand in hand.
0: That is super interesting. I'm curious in your take, because I don't know if I've ever asked anybody this before, but my own personal experience is that when you practice those types of things, it gets easier to initiate that over time. Is that what you found too, working with people? Or how do you think about that?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I see this in myself, too. Before, at the beginning of practicing, and I practice appreciation every day now, <laughs> but before I began practicing yeah. appreciation, it used to be harder. I think, for me, one of the positive learnings from <laughs> <Speaking> having... <laughs> <of
0: weird. laughs>
1: from living with all my conditions and being a third culture kid and all this stuff is that early on, it was like I could sink or I could swim. And I chose to swim. And the way that I swam was by always looking for, well, how can I keep moving? How can I find out I want to feel pleasure, I want to feel good, I want to go places, I want to have powerful experiences. And so it was not something that just kind of came to me intuitively, it was through conditioning, through experiencing a lot of hardship, where in having this desire to experience fulfillment and success, having the desire for that be much bigger than the desire to, to capitulate and to feel sadness. It just conditioned me to start looking for the positive experiences. Because if not, I would just keep backsliding. And it's really sad and boring back down the tunnel of like depression and victimhood and feeling sad. (laughs) It's not a cool place to be. So it's like I started conditioning myself at an early age. But then when I started learning about it through, you know, I was being taught by my teachers how important it is to look for the positive learning. It kind of just made total, it made complete sense to me.
2: That is
0: absolutely fantastic. And on that note, I've got to say, thank you. This has been such a fun conversation and I really appreciate you taking the time and making actually even, I think we've gotten a little bit extra time. So I appreciate that too. For everybody that wants to get more Karen and that.
1: Oh yeah. You're a 99% there.
0: (laughs) Speaking of practice, speaking of practice, (laughs) (laughs) anyhow, all jokes aside, I would say that go over and check out your stuff. But where can people find more about you? Let's say that
1: they want to learn more. So, well, I have a website that's very basic and that's at karennayonagan.com.
0: And if you want the spelling, we'll have the spelling. If you head on over to com. click on podcast and we'll get it right there for you.
1: Yeah, I think that's much easier than me spelling it because that'll take up another 20 minutes. (laughs) But more importantly, I am coming out with a book called Leap, How to Risk Again When There's No Net. And in that book, I'm going to be talking about how to, as a natural-born risk-taker, living in what I call the risk-taker reward cycle, And who has been stopped in their tracks and is now stuck in executive paralysis, having a hard time executing, how they can leap, which is then the system that I'm going to be outlining, my proven process for how to get back to taking big risks and getting big rewards. I will be outlining the entire process there. I'll be including lots of client success stories. I'll be sharing my own personal stories. And I'll even be giving some examples of some powerful people who have fallen fat flat on their face after a risk gone wrong, and also showing people how they got back to it using the same system.
0: I love it. Look for Leap then. Yes, that is a it'll thing. be
1: out this fall. Thank you. I'm so excited to be presenting this to the world.
0: Very, very cool. Hey, and thank you so much. Any parting words or thoughts before I say, this is awesome and amazing. And I absolutely (laughs) appreciate it.
1: Parting words is that if you have ever experienced any kind of success, even if it was when you were 10 years old, then you have the capacity to find that in your life now. So if you have had success in your past, it is possible for you to experience it again and also potentiate it in your future. So you don't have to ever feel stuck anywhere. There are ways out and success can be a real part of your life again.
0: Very cool. Hey, seriously, thank you. I really appreciate it. And thanks for making the time and taking the time. And this has just been absolutely fantastic.
1: I really appreciate it. I wanna thank you and I thanks to all your listeners and I'm just really, really excited that people know that they can have success again.
0: Now's a good time to remind you that if you're still doing work that doesn't fit you, or you know you could be doing something more, but not sure exactly what that is? Then now is a perfect time to text HTYC to three eight four seven zero, and then we'll enroll you in our free eight-day email course that helps you figure out exactly what you want to do. And all you have to do is text HTYC to four four two two two, and then we'll help you figure out what you want. Hey, thanks so much for listening to happen. You're great. Hope you really enjoyed that episode. And I want to say thank you again, because we've had even more people head out to iTunes and head out to Stitcher and leave us ratings and reviews. And thank you so very much because this helps us get more people to work that they love. And when we do that, then more companies accept that as normal and actually value it and value creating an environment that is actually good for humans, as it turns out, and good for people like you and me. So that is what we want to do, and I very much appreciate it. Lauren P. in DC wrote, 25% inspiration, 75% actionable techniques. We so appreciate you taking the time. She says, this podcast is a lifeline as I tolerate a job that pays well but leaves me lackluster. I found it by Googling should I quit or fear of taking risk. It's revitalizing my vision for meaningful work and finding a tribe I feel connected to. Well, we're so glad to have you in this tribe and a part of the HTYC family. I'm, And she says she's so grateful for this high-quality content. We're grateful to have you. And we would absolutely appreciate it if you would take 60 seconds and do the exact same thing. Leave us a rating and review and help other people, including yourself, get to work that they love. All right. we have so much more in store coming up for you next week right here on happen to your career and if you've ever wondered whether whether coaching in some capacity is right for you whether it be for your own business whether it be for coaching in in another role or just leveraging coaching in general i think you're going to love next week take a listen
1: My approach has always been very much ready, fire, aim, as opposed to ready, aim, fire. So I just jumped out there and I did it. You know, I didn't have this detailed business plan and I just said, hey, I'm going to do it. I slapped up a website, I got 500 business cards printed. I had the most general, I won't even say niche because it wasn't a niche. I said, hey, I'm a coach for entrepreneurs because I'd gone through all this stuff and I have a passion, love entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship and I said, I want to help entrepreneurs. So it wasn't terribly focused in there and later months i would narrow down from that but when i got started i just said hey a coach for entrepreneurs all
0: that and plenty more next week right here on happen to your career we'll see you next time until then i am out adios By the way, I, I practice saying your name because
1: <laughs> I, I <actually laughs> laughed because that's only half of my name. Is it really? <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. We're totally just starting the episode here, by the way. So we chatted and I tried to say your name and I totally could not get it. And so knowing we had this today, it was like saying it over and over again so that I could actually say your name. Right. So what is your full name then? I'm super curious now.
1: My full name is Anna Karenina. Colfus Yonagan.
0: That is a mouthful. That is fantastic. I love long names like that, even if I can't say them.
1: Even if you can't say them. No, it took me years to practice.
0: (laughs) So do you get a lot of people that just jump right in and try and say your name? Or do you get a lot of, hey, how does that work for you? Especially in the US? Because like, I don't know.
1: Well, actually, it's the same in Norway, because my name is as foreign in Norway as it is here in the US. Most people actually jump right in and try to say Karenina, because that's what I go by. Yeah, And many of them, interestingly enough, here in Mexico, are pretty good at it, pretty good at nailing it the first time.
0: Really? That is awesome.
1: The tourists here in Mexico, the actual Mexicans, they need a different twist. Karenina, which is totally fine.
0: Yeah. That's how I was saying it at first. I was like, Karenina. And then I was like, Karenina. <laughs> <And> then...
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a long, complicated name. I get a lot of jokes because people just get shocked when they hear it.
0: See, really, I'm just jealous because my name is so easy to say. <laughs> There's no complexity.
1: Right. People like really get to practice my name, which solidifies their image of me. And then they remember forever.
0: Oh, my goodness. See, there's so many side benefits. Yes,
1: exactly. Wow.
0: I totally did not realize this. I am impressed. I think that's the right word.